Good afternoon. Welcome to Business Buzz. I'm Harold Littlejohn, CPA. I'm here to entertain, educate, hopefully, talk a little business. Uh, Business Buzz tries to concentrate on business topics. I do a lot of topics about taxes just because I do that as probably my main job in my CPA work. I've been actually licensed that way for 30 years, and I've been actually doing the work for 40 years before I became a licensed CPA. It just keeps changing. Uh, The new, in the end of 2019, uh, they passed some new tax laws that sort of did some new things for over and above what the 2018 tax changes were. They're kind of interesting. I'll just highlight a couple things that I'm just now reading about the new tax law. One of the disadvantages is in the old days, before this change, if a person inherited somebody's IRA or retirement account, and that person that inherited it was young, they could choose to stretch that out over their lifetime and uh, not have to pay a lot of tax on it for quite a few years. This new update to the law now has a five-year term for an inherited IRA to be brought out and taxed. That's definitely a disadvantage for some people. For some people, it doesn't matter a lot because a lot of times a person who inherits an IRA might just go ahead and cash it and pay the tax anyway because they needed the money for some other reason, which seems kind of common. That sort of reminds me of a client of mine that I've known for a long time who's a stockbroker. And the income, his commission income each year just kind of steadily declines over the last, especially the last five or 10 years. And in talking with him, I was saying, you know, what's going on there? You know, he's not, he's not a young guy, so he's not out like marketing and hustling. But what he said was all of his steady all of his steady clients over the years that had stock portfolios that he helped them with, as that generation passes away, the younger generation doesn't want to own that type of investment generally. And these days, I think a lot of younger people, either they need the money for something else or they might even be tied into something like Bitcoin or some other type of investing just being a younger generation and not sticking around with the what might be considered the stodgy, older-style uh, stock market investing. It's kind of interesting. But just in general, I would say that a lot of people inheriting an IRA don't want to stretch it out for the next 50 years if they're only 20 years old. But the new law doesn't allow them to anyway, so that's, that's one less choice uh, we have. There's also some new rules regarding, I'll just summarize it by people who had federally declared disaster losses in the Camp Fire and the other fires in 2018. Even some of them who don't have what's called itemized deductions may be allowed some new extra standard deductions. It's It's an interesting thing that I'm just now reading about and uh, I'll have to learn it, of course, before we actually start processing tax returns. And today is the day that e-filing is available for the 2019 tax year. Up until today, the IRS was just revamping their computers, getting it all ready. They're still not able to e-file the prior year of 2018, which is late, of course, but there's generally three years you can still e-file during filing season. So right now, e-filing it would be available as of today for 2019, but all through the filing season, once they open it up for the older years, 17, 18, and 19 can still all be e-filed until they get ready to redo their computers again, which will probably be next, uh, the December of 2020. That's kind of how the e-filing season works. They always take a few weeks off and get all their computers ready. And now 
they're accepting e-files. I haven't done any yet this very first day, but I'm sure a lot of people are going to go ahead and try to do the people who do their own and uh, always get a refund. Go ahead and e-file today because that'll get you your money a little sooner. So it's a nice winter winter day, not a bad day, just a, a winter day in Chico. I'm glad that tax season's here. I always enjoy seeing clients that some of them I only see once a year. Some I, of course, see more depending on what we do for them. But it's always fun during tax season to just reconnect with everyone and see how they're doing. It's normally, if I haven't heard from them in a year, that's probably good because unless they need me, they might not call me. And so I kind of assume if I haven't heard from them in a year, I'm probably they're probably having an okay year. Because in my business, if you get a lot of calls from someone, it's probably because they've got a problem and some sort of issue. So this is business buzz and business is rolling along. It seems like Butte County is doing pretty well as far as being busy. I know the traffic's real busy. I know my contractor clients are all very busy. Some of them are having sort of like record years. Unfortunately, when you have a record income year, you might have your own little record tax due year, and you might have a lot of tax due. But I do tell people who owe a lot of tax, it could be worse. You could have no income and not owe any tax. And my dad, who did taxes since the 1950s, always said, always told his clients, well, it's kind of like you have a partner, so pay them their their cut and you get to keep the rest, which is, you know, neither. Everybody's got their own opinion about that. Nobody really enjoys paying taxes, but since the rates are lower with the new tax law that came into effect at the beginning of 2018, at least the rates are a bit lower than they were before. So that's a good thing. So the first topic I wanted to spend some time on today, since this is business buzz, and since I've had an ongoing cold, it's not a really big, horrible illness, but I've had a bit of a cough and a cold and So I got to thinking about, well, how's the medical business? Well, when it comes to medical, I have my, I see a lot of my clients, of course, and an issue on the tax returns is medical spending sometimes, but for self-employed people, an issue on tax returns is the premiums paid for health insurance because that's deductible. If you have self-employment income, you can deduct directly the premiums on your health insurance policies. So I do see those. Now, speaking for myself, mine went up this year. Of course, I'm getting a little older, but I did have a year where it stayed the same. No, it actually dropped. So I would say my premium dropped for 2019. But now for 2020, it's back up, but it's not as high as it was two years ago. I'm not certain exactly why, uh, but when I think of medical, I think of premiums because with this not feeling well, I went to a local, I call it dock in the box. It's, you know, the place where you go for a prescription and just to get checked out. And if they need to refer you for something, they'll send you to a different doctor later. And I went to one of those, and it was interesting because when I got done with this little checkup and they looked at my throat and tested me for things like strep throat, and I didn't have anything, but they still, I had to kind of ask them, but I got a prescription for some antibiotics, just hoping that would help. But I was thinking about the business of medicine, and when I got up to the counter, when I got done, it was a zero copay, so... Even though I pay a lot of money for my health insurance premium, but I mainly need in case I, something serious happens or I have an accident, it was pretty nice to know that when I do need to go in for something, it didn't cost me anything. 
when I did pick up my prescription of six antibiotic pills, which honestly didn't help, but I still like to try them just in case they will help. Will help. I believe the price on my bottle of those pills was something like five dollars. So my point of that is that my premiums are high, but I don't have a lot of other medical expenses right now. So I really, I mean, I'm not going to complain. What good does it do to complain? Now, the one good thing about 2019 tax-wise on the medical side is that there is no longer a penalty on the federal IRS if you don't carry health insurance. That was something that popped up in 2014 with the ACA, Affordable Care Act. That ended as of the end of 18. So for 2019, whether or not you have health insurance is back to being a personal, personal individual decision. I do know that the number one cause of bankruptcy is medical bills. So if you can get health insurance, you should, in my opinion. I think the main thing to remember is if your income isn't high, there's a huge savings with that thing called Covered California, and you can get health insurance premiums for a pretty low amount if your income's low. And, of course, people over 65 are in Medicare, but they still need a supplemental policy because Medicare only covers 80% of all the big bills. So if you're on Medicare, you still need to have what's called a supplemental policy but it's not nearly as expensive as a full-blown health insurance policy like I have to carry. But to make a long story short, I pay a lot in premiums, but very little in medical. And when I do have to pay some medical, I have what's called an HSA, which is a health savings account, and it essentially ends up being tax-deductible up to a few thousand dollars a year. That's another thing to look into. If, you, if you're spending money on medical visits and you're realizing that through the itemized deductions and the new standard deduction, you're not utilizing your medical expenses for tax benefits, you should look into to see whether you qualify to have what's called an HSA. It works like an IRA. You put the money into your HSA, it comes off like an IRA deduction on your tax return. But then when you spend money for your medical expenses, like when I paid the $5 for my prescription, I ran it through my HSA debit card, and then it's an expenditure out of there that I've already paid for, but I already got the tax deduction when I put the money in the HSA. And if you open an HSA now, you can deduct it against the 2019 taxes, the amount you put in, up to April 15th and up to the limitations. I I don't know those off the top of my head. It's around $5,000 for a single person and like $7,500 or something for a married. So that's a great thing. So tax-wise, medically, number one, if you're self-employed, you get to deduct your health insurance premiums. And number two, if you qualify for an HSA, you get to deduct those like an IRA. You put Whatever you put in that HSA account comes right off your front page of your tax return. In the whole subject of the business medical, business of medicine, if you're a listener of Business Buzz for any time at all, you know that I'm always going to give you the other side of the story and the alternate viewpoint. So I've brought an article. And it is from uh, sorry, it's from an author named Mike Adams. It's dated uh, December twenty fourth of twenty nineteen, so it's it's a few weeks old now, but still very current. And it's called. Whooping cough outbreak sweeps through Texas school with 100% vaccination rate, proving that vaccines don't work yet again. 
So, and this is a, it's a place called Natural News that I got this article. So I'm going to continue with more of the business of medicine after this break. So stay tuned to Business Buzz. I'll be right back. We heard from over 400 listeners who poured out their lives to us. And on the next Focus on the Family, you'll hear some of the most intriguing stories when God has shown himself strong, miraculously, in the lives of the preborn, the orphan, the elderly, and those with special needs. Celebrating all of life on the next Focus on the Family. Focus on the Family, weekday mornings at 7.30 here on Life Radio, KKXX. Heritage Insurance Agency in Chico thanks our troops and veterans for everything they've done so fearlessly for us. Send letters and packages from home and offer a veteran a discount on your local product or service. That's courtesy of Heritage Insurance Agency, Chico's premier full-service insurance agency at 290 Airpack Boulevard. Proudly serving our community for over 30 years. For more information, call 530-894-3276 or go online to heritageinsuranceagency.com. We heard from over 400 listeners who poured out their lives to us. And on the next Focus on the Family, you'll hear some of the most intriguing stories when God has shown himself strong, miraculously, in the lives of the preborn, the orphan, the elderly, and those with special needs. Celebrating all of life on the next Focus on the Family. Focus on the Family, weekday mornings at 7.30 here on Life Radio, KKXX. Welcome to Business Buzz. I'm Harold Littlejohn, CPA. I'm here on a winter day in Chico getting ready for another tax season. It's hard to believe it's 2020, but it is. So I was starting to discuss the business of medicine or part of the business of medicine. And the first article I wanted to talk about was this one about woofing cop outbreak sweeps through Texas school with a hundred percent vaccination rate. Okay. So I'm going to just start right now. A Texas school that touts a 100% vaccination rate has been forced to close its doors and send students home after a whooping cough outbreak swept through the school, infecting students who were already vaccinated. The incident proves yet again that vaccines don't work as advertised and that infectious disease outbreaks very often occur among children who are vaccinated. This simple, stunning realization contradicts all the false promises, fake science, and malicious propaganda of the vaccine industry, which absurdly insists that all vaccines work all the time and that no children are ever harmed by vaccines. As GreenMedInfo.Health reports, on December 4th, St. Teresa Catholic School in Memorial Park reported its first case to the Texas Department of State Health Services. Since then, the outbreak has continued to escalate, and not because of the abuse of religious and medical exemptions and so-called anti-vaxxer parents. According to the Fox News report, the school vaccine uptake rate was at 100%. Officials with the Archdiocese of Galveston, Houston, said that 100% of students who attend St. Teresa Catholic School, are vaccinated against the illness. This was confirmed by a statement to parents sent by the school. The letter actually says all St. Teresa students are 100% vaccinated. Doctors are unsure why vaccinated children may still get the disease. This is an open admission that vaccine propaganda is total bunk, pushed by malicious liars and propagandists who are placing the health of children and adults at risk by repeatedly misrepresenting vaccine safety and effectiveness. 
And if doctors are unsure why vaccinated children may still get the disease, it proves that doctors still under still don't understand why vaccines fail, which means their entire model of how vaccines work is broken and invalid. The entire realm of so-called vaccine science is, in fact, total quackery and fraud. And I'm just going to interject here. Uh, I did read another article. I don't have it handy with me today. Uh, Bill Gates, who is the Gates Foundation, goes around the world vaccinating kids everywhere. Uh, I read that there are now 170,000 polio victims in India after getting the vaccine. Uh, I don't have that in front of me, but I read that. And the interesting part of the article I read was that Bill Gates himself did not allow his own children to be vaccinated. But he's happy for a billion other kids around the world to get, to get those shots. Okay, I'm going to continue. The real science openly admits DTAP vaccines actually spread infectious disease. Children's Health Defense has detailed the failure of these vaccines by highlighting important new research revealing how vaccines actually spread infectious disease. These studies show that the pertussis whooping cough vaccine has now failed. Studies show that by five years after completion of the DTAP series, children were up to 15 times more likely to acquire pertussis compared to the first year after the series. California schools are now suffering a pertussis outbreak 3,400 cases in 2018 compared to 14 measles cases affecting primarily vaccinated children. Yes, you read that correctly. After receiving the DTaP vaccines, children are up to 15 times more likely to be infected with pertussis or whooping cough. If vaccines protect children from infectious disease, how can it be that children who are vaccinated show an increased risk of infection? Answer. Because the vaccines are spreading the disease, of course, from the study itself. And then it says, more recent studies show that by five years after completion of a DTaP series, children were up to 15 times more likely to acquire pertussis compared to the first year after the series. Studies have also documented rapid decline in pertussis antibodies within as few as two to three years of the most recent vaccination often to pre-vaccination levels, and although antibody levels alone are not necessarily indicative of waning immunity, in this case, given the higher risk of infection after the vaccine with time, it is strongly suggestive of it. And here's another study cited by CHD that also admits the vaccines are spreading the infections. And it says, in this paper, we have presented empirical evidence from both case and genomic data for asymptomatic B pertussis transmission following the switch to the AP vaccine in the U.S. and U.K., then using mathematical and computational transmission models, we have demonstrated that a AP vaccine which blocks symptomatic disease but not asymptomatic transmission is able to account for the observed increase in pertussis incidence. Public health authorities may be facing a situation similar to that of polio, where vaccinated individuals can still transmit infection. Although vac- all, even though vaccines often fail, those who question vaccine propaganda are censored and silenced. Even though vaccine propaganda is filled with malicious lies and deliberate false information, anyone who questions the official false narratives of the vaccine industry is instantly censored and deplatformed from all the major tech platforms, including Pinterest, Vimeo, Twitter, YouTube, and Facebook. The entire tech industry, in fact, has gone all in with the medical violence of the vaccine industry and its history of running inhumane medical experiments on human children. That's why vaccine truth content is exploding across alternative platforms. Uh, And then it goes on to talk about some alternative uh, places because uh, YouTube just came out and said they're removing all anti-vaccine people. So, Okay, so that was the first article, and uh, I think it's fascinating because I personally never let my child have a vaccine, and he's one of the healthier people I know. 
And I know people will say, oh, you can't do that. The other kids will get it. Well, just ask these people down in Texas who all got the vaccine and they're having an outbreak sweeping through the school. Uh, I'd like someone to explain how that works in, in a good way. So here's something I, I'll bet that you don't know about this. I probably won't have time to finish this article that I'm going to share with you uh, by the second break here, but if not, I'll pick it up after. But I bet you don't know this. The truth about secret vaccine courts. It says no matter, and this is from the healthscamsexposed.com. It says no matter what side of the debate you fall on when it comes to the safety and effectiveness of vaccines, chances are you have never heard of the secret vaccine courts. A special no-fault court system was put into place in the 1980s that handles thousands of vaccine-related lawsuits. These cases are concerned with thousands of incidents of death and injury caused by vaccines, primarily in children, and the pro-vaccine establishment is doing everything it can to keep it a secret. Anna Kirkland, a pro-vaccine activist from the University of Michigan, is worried that letting people know about the vaccine courts could reduce vaccination rates. She dismisses the fact that hundreds of millions of dollars in settlements have come out of this court in cases where vaccines cause grievous harm. She believes that the gag orders and the huge amounts of money that come with them only give the appearance that vaccines are dangerous. But if they are not dangerous, why pay the settlements? And why order the claimants to be silent? The Vaccine Inquiry Comprehensive Compensation Program, or Vaccine Court, was created in 1986 to deal with the groundswell of people claiming vaccines had harmed their children. Prior to the existence of the court, vaccine makers had special protection from public lawsuits, but the outcry was so great that something else had to be done to quiet the many angry parents. I'm going to continue this article about the business of medicine in just a minute. Stay tuned. This is Harold Littlejohn CPA for Business Buzz. Be right back. My mind isn't directed towards humility. My mind is bent towards pride. That's my problem. That's my depravity. That's my carnality. And if you are living there, no wonder you lack assurance and joy and peace because something inside is wrong. The carnal mind. David Hawking tells us what we really need to live victoriously in the Lord. This week on Hope for Today. Weekdays at 8 a.m. here on KKXX. Where does logic come from? This is Ken Ham, CEO of Answers in Genesis, Ark Encounter, and Creation Museum. We use logic every day, but have you ever thought about where it comes from? Well, in an evolutionary worldview, it's hard to explain. After all, in that view, everything is material, and how could something immaterial, like the laws of logic, evolve? Now, this doesn't mean that atheists and evolutionists don't use or believe in logic. They do, but they can't explain its existence. Logic only makes sense in a biblical worldview. There's a God who created everything, including the immaterial laws of logic. He is logical, so we can expect his creation to operate in the same way. For atheists to use logic, they actually have to borrow from the Christian worldview. Plan your visit to the Ark Encounter and the Creation Museum when you go to our website at AnswersRadio.com. Be equipped and encouraged by visiting AnswersRadio.com. I wasn't prepared to be a caregiver to mom. I had no idea how hard it would be and what I would need to know. Things I never thought of, like how to improve her mood and ways for me to stay positive. Luckily, I found the Caregiving Resource Center from AARP. It had articles about the basics, but also information about the hurdles I was facing. Caregiving Resource Center at aarp.org caregiving. Articles, tips, and tools to help you both care for your loved one and care for yourself. Brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Business Buzz. I'm Harold Littlejohn, CPA. The start of another tax season. The start of a new decade. 
and today we're discussing the business of med- part of the business of medicine. Not all medicine's bad, but as I'm trying to show you here, some of it is. Yeah, I'm going to continue with this article about the vaccine court, and let me let me just say that if I didn't research this, I have never heard of this before, and I know people who have had, I know people in particular who've had a, a grandchild that was basically rendered completely disabled right after one of these shots. And uh, it's just shocking. So I'm going to continue with this. And I, I don't think if I, unless I was interested in this subject and I dug a little bit, I've never heard of the vaccine court, have you? So I'm going to continue. The law that established the court also allows vaccine manufacturers the right not to disclose the known risks of their products. That means you have no legal right to know the risks to your children when you bring them to the doctor to be vaccinated. To to offset that privilege, it was deemed necessary to balance the protection with some measure to satisfy the parents of children who have been harmed. That balance is the secret vaccine court. I know this is hard to believe. Uh, We're in the United States. Uh, This is an aside. I'm not reading this. It's hard to believe that we're in the land of the free, but this is what I'm reading. Families who are injured by vaccines are compensated via an administrative process based on a chart of predictable vaccine-related injuries. It's almost as if parents of vaccine-injured children come to the court, pick their grievance off a menu of known grievances, and are given a set amount of compensation for their damages, after years of appeal, that is. And I just want to step in here and say, this would almost be an entirely moot point if vaccines were a choice. The problem we have now is it's becoming not a choice in most states. California used to have what's called a religious exemption. Now they don't, thanks to Governor Brown. So what I'm saying here is if any of this even played into anything, it wouldn't even matter were it not for the fact that they're mandate they're they're making, they're forcing everyone to get these poisons put into their bodies. Okay, I'm going to continue. When the court was first created, 90% of the claims were on table, which means they are open cases with public results. Today, when vaccine schedules have more than tripled, 90% of plaintiffs are forced into off-table litigation. This system is designed to obfuscate the dangers of vaccines so that parents will continue to fold to the pressure and subject their children to these dubious preventative treatments. If you're not angry yet, you'd better take a deep breath. The damages that injured families receive when they are awarded by the vaccine court do not come out of the pockets of the manufacturers. Compensation comes out of a special fund compiled by a tax placed on every individual vaccine purchase and from the general treasury, which comes from taxpayer monies. That means the general public, including the victims of vaccines, are paying for the immense harm done by vaccines. Imagine a criminal who wishes to plunder the homes in a given neighborhood. Now imagine that criminal has close connection to the police chief whose will is to protect that criminal. So instead of imprisoning the burglar, he sets up a fund to repay victims for their losses. But the fund is paid by the neighborhood in the form of a utility price hike. This is analogous to the arrangement vaccine manufacturers and healthcare organizations have been set up with. It's a condition of total immunity where the community itself pays for the harms that are visited upon it by those who portend to serve them. Every quarter, the Department of Justice issues a report on deaths and injuries caused by vaccines. For the month, and this is for a month, for the month of March 2015, the Department of Justice reported 117 injuries and death caused by vaccines. Of those, 92 received cash settlements. In November of 2014, the Government Accounting Office released a report that criticized the government for hiding the truth of the vaccine court from the general public. Even victims who are aware of the court often have to fight for years to receive any compensation. They are resisted ferociously at every turn, are pressured to keep quiet about their story, and many times cannot afford to complete the legal process. The Vaccine Compensation Fund is currently over $4 billion. 
That money is taken from the public to pay for harm done to the public and is itself a crime of epic proportions. So if you are interested in uh, reading that article, you could search it at a place called uh, Health Scams Exposed. See, personally, I, I have a brother who got into medical school by the skin of his teeth. Not that he wasn't a good student. I'll tell you why. It's because he didn't have a parent that was an MD. He was a great student. He had straight A's all the way through his undergrad program. And he, this is in the days way before the internet, he barely got, he must have flown, driven or flown to at least 20 interviews for medical schools. My point on his whole situation is this. After all these visits to these schools and interviews, he got one alternate back, I think, at Case Western. I think that's in Ohio or something. And then he did get accepted, luckily, to UC Irvine here in California. And he ended up, the, my, here's my point. He ended up being a top orthopedic surgeon down in the South Bay. He got awards. He speaks at seminars. He's highly respected surgeon. My point is, he barely made it into being an MD because he didn't have parents who were MDs. He told me when he went to, he was about two and a half years older than me, so this would have been when he was about, he was one of those guys who graduated from high school at age 15 and started college before his 16th birthday, one of those types. So he was probably 19 or 20 when he applied to medical school. I remember him saying that when he went to the interview at Stanford, he knew while he was in the interview that he wasn't going to get accepted because all the interview talked about was who his relatives were that were Stanford alumni. So it was irrelevant. So my point is, if the world had excluded him from getting into medical school, which it almost did, uh, there would have been one very quality, high, high-end uh, surgeon that never would have helped people because the system kept him out. And I can't tell you how many people I know, when the parent is an MD, the kids all get accepted to medical school. And you know, these days, the kids all come out with straight A's. So what's the criteria? So yeah, I'm not a, I'm not a medical lover. I've mentioned before on Business Buzz, I stay away from doctors as much as possible. I only go when I, when I really need to. If I have to work and I don't feel good, yes, I do go to try to get a little medicine, but uh, I'll take the homeopathic treatments any day, and I, I, I do not overdo the doctor visits. I just don't think it's that great. Now, what would an episode of Business Buzz be without discussion of paper money versus real money? and the possible risk you face with, uh, with what could happen to your digital ones and zeros in your bank accounts and, uh, and uh, IRAs and all that stuff. So I did want to read a quick quote here from Daniel Webster, who I just uh, read about a little bit. He's an American statesman, born in 1792. And here's a quote from Daniel Webster. Of all the contrivances for cheating the laboring classes of mankind, none has been more effective than that which deludes them with paper money. So I thought that was apropos. So now all of my, when I talk about, when I talk about uh, gold and silver as a hedge for part of your part of your money, I'm trying to emphasize the fact that all paper money is is an agreement that everybody agrees this is worth a certain amount. You'll trade your services for so much per hour. I'll trade mine for so much per hour. I'll go to the store and spend so much for a loaf of bread or a dozen eggs. That's how paper money works. But once people lose faith in the value of that paper money, that's when things go wrong. And I've pointed out before, 
the average life of a currency is about 29 years. And since we left the gold standard in 1971, we're now at almost 50 years of our U.S. currency since then, which means that we're sort of on borrowed time. I don't know about you, but if you notice when you go to the store, not only are prices higher, but packages are shrinking. In other words, I pointed this out one day on Business Buzz. Ziploc bags used to come in bags of 40. Well, all of a sudden they changed to bags of 38. I'm sorry, boxes of 38 bags. So instead of a box of 40 bags, now you got a box of 38, but the price didn't change. Well, two out of 40 that you just lost is 5%. So you just got a 5% increase in the price of that box when the price stayed the same. That's how this happens. So not only do prices go up, but when prices go up too far, they start changing the size of the package to make you feel like you're not paying more. Hopefully you've noticed that too. Hopefully I'm not being a... Remember there's an old saying, just because I'm paranoid doesn't mean they aren't following me. Okay. So my point of this was, I am always harping on gold and silver. But gold and silver are artificially manipulated markets, and the low prices are due to paper selling on the futures market. So I'm going to get back, and I'm going to answer the law. I'm going to answer the age-old question: What happens when they lose control of a paper market? And I'll be right back on Business Buzz. Stay tuned. Hi, this is Pastor Chris Kinson of Community Church of God in Chico, and I'm happy to announce that our church has joined KKXX. Community Church of God has been a fixture in Chico for many years, and now we'll be coming to you over the airwaves. Our program is called Your Message for Today, and will be broadcast on Saturday and Sunday mornings at 10.30 a.m. We hope that you enjoy the Bible-based teaching preaching that will be featured on these programs. We'd also like to extend to you an invitation to come and visit us at Community Church of God, 1095 East Avenue in Chico. Our services are 11 a.m. Sundays and Bible studies at 7 p.m. Wednesdays. Come and worship with Community Church of God and may God richly bless you. Maybe you haven't been to church in a while because you have the idea that church is not relevant to your life. But churches have changed a lot. Here's what some people have to say about churches these days. I think there's just really a closeness among the people. There is life here that that is not in this world that um, this world has, doesn't have to offer. I really like a positive environment. They really provide an opportunity for everyone to get involved. Church, look around and check one out. There's one out there for you. It's a real loving community. A message from Life Radio, KKXX, AM and FM. Welcome back to Business Buzz. I'm Harold Littlejohn, CPA. Looking forward to another tax season. And by the way, if you, there's lots of quality tax preparers in Chico. If you can do your own, I'd say do it because that'll save you some money. And these days, some tax returns are quite simple and you can do them online for free. But if you do need help, it wouldn't hurt to at least uh, talk to a professional. I offer a free consultation. It may be in person, it may be over the phone, depending on what you need. Uh, I can be reached at 895-3353. This time of year, I'm always happy to meet somebody new. I might be able to help you. But even if you don't want to call me, 
If you have questions, it might be worth talking to someone who does this for a living because there's lots of little twists and turns to the tax law that might save you some money. Okay, so my question posed before the start of the last break was, what happens when a precious metals paper market loses control? And I'm here to answer that question because we have two of them. There are two of them that it's happening right now. You won't hear that because they won't mention it on NBC, MSNBC, CNBC, ESPN, any of those places. That was a joke. ESPN is for the Super Bowl. So you won't have heard of this. I'll bet you haven't heard of this, but uh, there's an article from January 27th, a place called kitco.com, K-I-T-C-O. It's a great place to go to just look at precious metals quotes. And it says, palladium surges above $2,400. Is it sustainable? A new day, a new record in palladium. Is there any stopping it from reaching another high? What's next in store for the white metal? If you thought gold had a good year, you were wrong. Okay, maybe not wrong, but palladium enjoyed larger gains. We'll just look at the chart below, which shows the price of palladium. As you can see on the chart, this metal gained almost 50% in 2019, rising from 1270 to 1900 per ounce. And if you thought gold started 2020 well, you were also wrong. Okay, maybe not wrong, but palladium was the real star. Although not as great a star as rhodium, which I'll talk about in a minute. Let's look at the chart below. The white metal skyrocketed from 1900 to almost 2500 in January. Actually, palladium has reached a record high compared with April 1990. The price of palladium increased from $130 to almost $2,500. So that's almost 20 to 1. So my point here is that I don't know the ins and outs of all the movings, of all the metals, of what really goes on, but here's the deal. When gold and silver stay low like they are now, it's because paper traders are selling paper gold and paper silver, and there's not that much real metal changing hands. Somehow this palladium market, they lost control, and it's shooting straight up, basically. And uh, I remember buying some palladium at three or $400 an ounce just a few years ago. And uh, it was about 700 in 2012, 600. Anyway, it's suiting straight up. So that's it, just look at a palladium chart and you'll see what happens to a precious metal when they lose control. And uh, it's interesting because I had just printed another article before I... Uh, it was from October 19. It was still in my little notebook here. And palladium, that article said palladium shortage brings precious metal past the 1800 mark. Well, that was only three months ago. So it's gone up another 33% in about three months. So there's shortages. There's no real metal around to buy. Uh, they lost control of the palladium market. And it's there's another article here that, uh, let me see if I can get this one up real quick. This is one where Bank of America says palladium, Bank of America, they should know, palladium to hit $3,500 before this rally is over. So that would be another, uh, you know, 900 on top of 2,600. That'd be another 33% increase. Now, remember, the higher you go, the harder it is to make another 33% increase. But if palladium goes to where Bank of America think it's, thinks it's going to go, wow. We're looking at huge run-up. So that's what happens when a, when a paper market loses control. So when they mentioned rhodium, I've mentioned rhodium before on the show. And uh, a couple months, a few months ago, rhodium was hitting like $4,000 an ounce. And it was like, whoa, what's going on? So it says, um, I've got an article here. It says, rhodium prices soar on demand-driven story. It says, rhodium prices have skyrocketed, which analysts and traders are attributed to strong industrial demand, particularly from the Chinese car market, at a time when supplies are unable to keep pace. Now, remember the other thing, palladium, and this isn't from the article, I'm just saying palladium, rhodium, platinum, 
Most of those come from South Africa or Russia, some from Canada. <clears throat> so with Russia, you'll have a deal where they may not even export what they mine. Uh, they don't export any gold. China and Russia never export gold. So whatever gold they buy, that's in addition to what they mine, and they don't let it leave <clears throat> Excuse me, their, bo- their borders. <clears throat> so... I'm going to read a little bit more about rhodium. Rhodium is one of the smallest metals markets, meaning the huge spreads between bid and ask in limited trading. Rhodium has already risen around one-third of the first five trading days in the new year, with prices last trading around 7,300 an ounce. Well, actually, this... Excuse me. This was actually written on the 16th of January, so in that short time, I'm happy to report that rhodium is now about 9,000 an ounce. Some commodity, I'm reading again, some commodity analysts and traders say that the 2008 record high near $10,000 is the new target to watch and prices could remain at historically higher levels even when they do finally correct. Everyone needs this metal and we are seeing speculators now entering the market. Jonathan Butler, precious metals analyst and head of business development at Mitsubishi. This has all the makings of a squeeze, and who knows where it will end. Suki Cooper, precious metals analyst with Standard Chartered, thats I think that's some British bank, described the market as undersupplied. It has very much been a demand-driven story, Cooper said. The prospect for future supply is a concern, but in the near term, it's being driven higher, driven by higher auto emission standards, and given that it's a small market, we see that tightness materializing and much sharper moves higher. Chinese car sales have been down from past years. However, the loadings of platinum group metals per vehicle have increased due to stricter emissions rules, keeping demand robust. The demand for rhodium and palladium, which has also hit record high prices lately, has continued to grow, Cooper explained. So it's really been driven by the industrial sector with continued demand growth from the auto sector. There's a supply element as well. Rhodium is mined as a byproduct of other metals rather than rhodium-only mines. An electrical shortage in South Africa, a key producer of the platinum group metals, has curtailed some mining operations in recent weeks, one trader said. Supply is limited due to events going back to 2012 when producers cut capital expenditures, which would be aimed at generating new supplies when prices tumbled. It normally takes about 10 years for new supplies to come online. It's possible that we may be facing a supply crunch over the the next couple of years. So that's the thing. Think about if you were a mining company, and I'm, I'm done with that article. I think I've beat that dead horse enough times. But rhodium is now up to about 9,000 an ounce. The all-time high is 10,000, but that's in 2008 dollars, which has got to be at least 30% inflation since then, guaranteed. So you're looking at the real all-time high would be in today's dollars about 13,000. So that's how far this probably has to run, I would guess. But my point is, is that if you're in the gold mining business and the price they knock the gold that you can sell on the futures market it's knocked down to $700 an ounce like it did in 2008 and 2009. Are you going to spend or borrow a billion dollars to look for new mines when the reward is a $700 an ounce gold? No, you're not. That's the problem. It's a 10-year buildup between when people decide to, to start mining more and then actually producing the metal it's not it doesn't happen the following year it's a 10 year cycle the point being is that with these low gold and silver prices there's not a lot of mines that have been increased or put into operation in the last few years that is like a self-fulfilling prophecy of having a supply problem now i've explained before how the paper markets knock prices down Silver is the number one most suppressed commodity price in the history of man. The ratio of silver to gold, you can buy 87 ounces of silver for one ounce of gold right now. 
And there's a lot of guys they just go between the two when it when it's a when it's a high silver to gold ratio like this, they sell gold and buy silver. Then when it drops back down like it did in 2011 to 30 to one, they sell silver and buy gold. It's a, it just constantly fluctuates back and forth. So my main point in all this is that you have to be careful with wondering what you've got because what you have is measured in dollars. And as we've seen, prices of things can change. I mean, if, if 50 years ago you had told your father that you would have $500,000 in your retirement account, that person listening to that 50 years ago would have been, you know, thinking, wow, because that would be the equivalent of like $25 million. But these days, 500000 is not even that large of a number anymore. I mean, houses in Chico are, I just saw the median house price in Chico is, I believe, around three fifty right now. Pre-fire, I'm guessing it was two fifty, maybe two seventy. These numbers are big, and the reason they're big is that the dollars are worth less than they used to be. Anyone who thinks $18 for an ounce of silver is expensive really hasn't understood the history of these things. So, I mean, generally in the past, an ounce of silver was worth one day's labor. If you put that into minimum wage perspective now, that means that silver probably should be about 100 an ounce. If you put that in the gold to silver ratio, the historic ratio that I said right now you can get 87 ounces for one ounce of gold, 87 ounces of silver, the historic ratio is around 15 to 1 over the last 1,000 years. That makes sense because gold right now is around 1560. And if the ratio were correctly 15 to 1, that would make silver $100. And like I said, that also makes sense that silver uh, is worth one day's labor. And that's sort of the constant. I also like to remind everyone that in 1964, when a quarter was 90% silver, uh, like our quarters used to be before they took the silver out, that would buy a gallon of gas in 1964. And right now, it's actually a little less than a quarter ounce of silver in a quarter, but a quarter ounce of silver price right now would be 450. And gas now is easily purchased for 350 or so. So my point is my point is still correct. A silver quarter still buys a gallon of gas. I also like to remember the old well it's a parable. I mean, I made it up, but I'm sure it's been said many times before that uh, when uh, Mr. when Smith and Jones families went to the safe deposit box to see what their grandfather left them when they passed away. Mr. Smith's safe deposit box had $3,100 bills in it, which is still worth $3,000. But Mr. Jones's box, when gold was about $30 an ounce, and I'm just doing the math real quick here, he had 100 gold silver, uh, I'm sorry, gold coins. Which family do you think was happier? The family with $3,000 of paper money or $150,000 worth of gold that they could go buy a small house with? I'll leave you with that little parable. I made it up, but I'm sure other people have too. Bye-bye. KKXX, Paradise. K280GL, Chico. And K283AR, Chico. All.com, I'm Keith Peters. The president's lawyers used their final arguments today to poke holes in the arguments laid out by the House impeachment managers. Bob Agnew reports from Capitol Hill. Attorney Patrick Philbin says Article 1 fatally depends on condemning the president's motives when he asked Ukraine to investigate former Vice President Joe Biden. How do we tell under the House manager's standard 
what an illicit motive is. As for the House claim, the president ignored, defied, and confounded agencies within the executive branch. The president cannot defy agencies within the executive branch. Because Philbin says the president is the executive branch, endowed with sole decision-making authority. By Agnew, Capitol Hill. President Trump calls his Mideast peace proposal a win-win opportunity for the Israelis and Palestinians. White House correspondent Greg Clugston reports. The president announced details of his long-awaited peace proposal, which he said seeks to be fair to both parties. The newly released plan offers many concessions to the Palestinians who have already rejected it. But Mr. Trump urged Palestinians to seize the historic opportunity and embrace peace. Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu, who has signed off on the proposal, was with the president as he unveiled the plan. Greg Clugston, the White House. A powerful magnitude 7.7 earthquake has struck in the Caribbean Sea between Jamaica and eastern Cuba. It shook a vast area from Mexico to Florida and beyond Tuesday, but there have been no reports of casualties or heavy damage. The quake was centered 86 miles northwest of Montego Bay, Jamaica, and 87 miles west-southwest of Niquero, Cuba. It hit at 2.10 p.m., and the epicenter was a relatively shallow six miles beneath the surface. The quake was felt strongly in Santiago, the largest far eastern Cuban city. It also prompted some evacuations in South Florida. On Wall Street, the Dow by 187 points. The Nasdaq rose 130. More on these stories at townhall.com. If your family depends on your income and something happened to you, what would happen to them? You need life insurance, and SelectQuote can help you get it at a price you can afford. SelectQuote found Jacob, 40, who's in excellent health, a 10-year, $500,000 policy for only $19 a month. Not in perfect health? Don't worry. SelectQuote found Tanya, 40, who has type 2 diabetes, a 10-year, $500,000 policy for only $32 a month. We shop companies like Protective, Prudential, American General and others to find you the company with the best rates. Give your family the security they need at a price you can afford. For your free quote, call 